It's great to be back amongst uh, you again after uh, two years. We left just before the pandemic hit uh, in January uh, 2020. Is that right? Oh, gee. It's hard to keep track nowadays, isn't it? Um, but we're thankful to, to be here, uh, even in circumstances different to what we, uh, what we thought might have happened from what we told you last time. I'll say a bit more as we go through. Uh, but there's really, it's the same things we'd love you to remember, the same things we've said over the last uh, nine years, with the added focus that we want to say thank you for staying with us through in this partnership uh, that it has been uh, with you guys in seeing Spanish youth meet Jesus. The three things to remember are to remember Jesus, remember Spain, and remember your part. We'll be able to share a little bit more about remembering Jesus, remembering Spain after the sermon and song. But, I mean, just by that reading that we've had this morning, we've already started in remembering Jesus, haven't we? It is a longer reading, perhaps, than normal. But I hope you'll see why it's been a long reading as we go through. Because we've seen multiple stories from who Jesus is. And, well, we're tempted to read out nine chapters uh, because we've been in Spain for nine years. So, you know, shorten it a little bit from that. Uh, But let's now pray as we come to think about God's word and reflect on who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father... We ask you this morning that you would help us to see Jesus afresh as the only King and Saviour, and that you'd help us to follow him in faith. Amen. Well, how do you remember Jesus when it feels like he's weak or doesn't care? I mean, just thinking about the pandemic is enough, right? Uh, There's so much weakness everywhere and so much Suffering. When it hit Spain, there were so many friends of ours that lost uh, close loved ones or that were stuck in overflowing hospitals. There's so much that has stopped throughout that time. Then even now we're seeing other things start as Russia and Ukraine go head to head. We see uh, even in our own local contexts, uh, in church or in our workplaces where it's, it's hard to tell people about Jesus or they don't respond. It feels like things are struggling there. Or maybe it's just that your friends or family are really antagonistic about your faith in Jesus. And you're asking, how, Jesus, do, do you care about this? Or are you, can you really do something about it? Some, it can feel confronting when we try to remember Jesus and yet circumstances start to make us feel sometimes that maybe he's weak or doesn't care. One circumstance for us was in June last year when in Tanya's uh, dad was having surgery to remove a blockage, but they saw what uh, looked like something worse. They couldn't confirm it until he had a scan a week later But it was enough to tell us that we should expect some difficult news. And then the scan revealed what we feared. It was stage four metastatic pancreatic cancer with an average of maybe 12 months if treatment went okay. And we were in Spain, chugging along with ministry at the time, all sorts of hopes and dreams for the future. 
And yet we knew it was time to return to Australia to care for family, which we desperately wanted to do. And we're thankful that God uh, brought us through some really tight travel restrictions uh, to be able to come back here. We know many of you are involved in praying and even sending letters to local government members to try and get us back through. We're so thankful for that. But we're still grieving leaving Spain, which we had called home for nine years And the ministries and the people that we had poured ourselves into. And we're asking ourselves, couldn't Jesus have done something? Didn't he care? Maybe that's what your friends say too. Or maybe you remember that philosophical saying that some would say, that if God were all powerful and loving, he'd end suffering. So either he's weak or he doesn't care. Or he doesn't exist. I think there's another situation or question that's even more confronting. See, what if it turned out that God actually is powerful and that he cares and then you met him? How would you respond? Or to put it another way, how do you respond to Jesus when you see that he is king and saviour? Well, it's tempting to have some sort of short answer that you can give to your friend that comes up without accusation about God. But it's hard to find a short phrase or something that captures it. And we're often slow learners. And so we don't just need one phrase or even one story. We need a bunch of them. We need to see that and experience that over time. And maybe that's how you respond to your friends as you say how you've come to know and trust God over time. I think that's what we get here in Mark, as we see a long story of little stories that Mark has put together that slowly help us to see who Jesus truly is. But then, as we see him for who he is, we're confronted with a king and saviour who demands a response. I'd love us to first go through these stories. Let's see if we can actually see this Jesus as the one who is powerful and loving, who demands our response. Starting, uh, we're doing is we're going along with the disciples. Mark started his gospel in the first verse of chapter 1, saying that he was going to tell the beginning or how this big announcement that Jesus is the Christ, the King, began. His disciples then are the ones who Jesus calls to follow along with him. They drop everything they're doing, their jobs, their livelihood, and they follow him. And they see that Jesus is one with complete authority as he starts healing people and doing all sorts of things. But he uses his authority to do what he came to do, which was to forgive sin, forgive our rejection of God, to deal with that problem. They'd started to see this. There were some who were opposed, the Pharisees who had come up in chapter 3 or chapter 2 and chapter 3, and they're they're starting to say, maybe Jesus isn't who he says he is. Where does he get this authority from? And so Jesus then challenges them in chapter 4 with a bunch of different parables to say, are you noticing what you're hearing? It's really important that you listen and you understand what's going on as you go along with me. 
And it's at that moment when we join Jesus with the disciples in this boat. And that's our challenge. Are we going to actually pay attention to what we're seeing? Are we going to listen to who Jesus is as we see him and are confronted with who he is? So let's join the disciples now in the boat with Jesus as we see Jesus who rules over creation or nature. Mark chapter 4 verse 35 That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. Can you imagine yourselves there in the boat with Jesus and his disciples, these fishermen? And then you're starting to see what's happening around you. There's a, there's a storm brewing and it's getting stronger. In fact, it's so strong that waves are starting to come over the boat and they're starting to fill it and you're getting a bit nervous, but even more so once you see the disciples. These are guys are fishermen. They've been through a lot of storms and they're terrified, so much so that they think they're going to die, that there's no more hope. And where's Jesus? He's, he's asleep. And worse than that, he even seems comfortable. He's got a little cushion. Did you notice that in the Bible? If you close your Bible, you might want to open it up, make sure what I'm saying is in there. Maybe Jesus has given up hope too. I mean, couldn't he at least get up and cry with us as we're dying? So the disciples, they wake him and they say to him, well, they say to him our question, don't they? They say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Couldn't you at least do something or at least show that they were important to you? Don't you care that there's people in this world that are suffering? The natural disasters are occurring, that children are dying of hunger, that there is war, there's a pandemic, that we're suffering. Don't you care, Jesus? But look at what Jesus does. Verse 39 He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He's not a a magician doing cheap tricks. This man, he rules over nature, creation, He's got complete authority. He is all-powerful, the king of everything. But do you see what he's also showing them right then and there in that moment? Well, of course he cared that they were drowning. But then he did more than what they could have possibly imagined, not just getting up a a bucket or fixing a, a link. He saved them completely and with just a word. He's the effective saviour. And in that moment, we see with the disciples, Jesus who is powerful and loving, that he is the king and the saviour, but that he's more powerful than we could have possibly imagined, that he cares for us more than we could have possibly imagined. So he's, he's answered their question, but then he's got a question for them, or two questions. Verse 40, 
He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? That is, if you'd really known who I was, then you wouldn't have been afraid. You'd have trusted me even in the face of certain death. It's a big challenge. And with the disciples, as they have seen Jesus, well, he now expects them, expect us to act. And there's only two options when you see Jesus as he is, as the king and saviour, as the one who is all-powerful and loving. You can reject him in fear or you can follow him in faith. There's a, a song that we learnt as kids in Sunday school, maybe you did too, where it said, with Jesus in my vessel, I will smile at the storm. Smile at the storm. No? Maybe. But have you realised Jesus as your king and saviour and respond in fear or faith? Maybe you're not convinced that. Maybe, like me, you need a longer story. The good thing is that Mark doesn't finish his announcement there. We see with the disciples that they didn't understand it straight away either. In fact, they ask themselves a question in verse 41. They say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus just told them who he is. Like they've seen it, haven't they? No, they need a bit more, just like us. And so, well, we'll keep going with them on the journey and see what happens uh, next. See if this is going to push us to see who Jesus really is. In the next part of the journey, we see Jesus ruling over evil. We arrive with the disciples at the region of the Gerasenes, the Gerasenes, I don't know how to pronounce it. You just say it quickly and confidently and it's fine, right? Uh, Where Jesus finds a man who has an impure spirit and all the people there of the region, they know this guy. That No one's been capable of even holding him down. This guy is powerful, but he lives amongst the dead in the tombs, rejected by the people of his land. He's he's drowning. But as soon as he sees Jesus, the impure spirit says in chapter 5, verse 7, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God. In God's name, don't torture me. He's asking for mercy. He, the, the spirit knows that Jesus is the king of everything and that scares it big time. But he, he, he can't refuse the order of Jesus. But Jesus... Uh, oh, so the spirit can't refuse the order of Jesus to leave the man and Jesus cares for this man. But then Jesus also asks the name of the spirit. Don't you think that's a bit weird? It makes me wonder, oh, does Jesus care for the spirit in some way? To, I don't know. You can leave that wandering around in your brain and tell me later what you think. But after begging Jesus more, it asked permission to enter into these 2,000 pigs. And so Jesus does, uh, and they enter in, and then uh, they, the, the pigs all run down the mountain into the lake, and they're drowned. I mean, it's, it's pretty terrifying, right? 
But you get the picture that before Jesus, evil runs. So the, the people of the region, they get together around the, the guy who had been demon-possessed and they see him, he's seated, he's dressed even, and he's in his right mind. And the ones who have seen what's happened, they start telling the other ones, that Jesus he's done, has done this and this is what's happened. So, well, it's obvious what's going to happen, right? Well, you'd think so, except that to one, this one who rules nature and evil, the people say, please go away. We don't want you here. They see Jesus all powerful and all loving and they reject him in fear. Except for the one man who was demon possessed. He asks for the opposite. Please let me go with you, Jesus. He trusts Jesus as his Lord and Saviour and wants to follow him in faith. But Jesus doesn't allow him to. And instead, for the first time in Mark, he asks the man to actually tell other people what the Lord had done for him. Have you seen Jesus as your Lord and Saviour yet? Are you going to respond to him in fear or in faith? Let's keep going with the journey. Maybe you need a little bit more as we go along this longer story. We keep going with the disciples on their journey as they see Jesus, who is not only the one who rules over nature and evil, but who rules over sickness and death as well. Next slide. We're going in the boat to the other side of the lake. And when we get there, there's a huge crowd of people. Amongst them are some of the leaders of the synagogue. One of them's called Gyro. Uh, in other parts of Mark, the Pharisees the, the lead and the leaders of the synagogues, they've generally rejected Jesus. So what's this guy going to do? But then all of a sudden, we see that he's drowning in sadness. In chapter 5, verse 23, he says to Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Does he have faith that Jesus can save her? Or that he might want to save her, that he cares? Well, Jesus goes with him and the crowd are crowding around him. Crowding, that's what they do. Uh, but amongst them, there's this side story starts to happen as well. There's this woman and she's drowning as well in her sickness of bleeding for 12 years. That means that she's also then impure. She's been rejected by the, the people around her. And she doesn't have any hope because she spent everything that she has on doctors without any kind of results. But now there's hope for her, one last hope. She's heard something about Jesus. And so she draws near to him behind the crowd thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed, verse 28. And then she does it. She reaches out 
and she touches his cloak. And then you see that in verse 29, in that moment, her bleeding stops. She feels in her body that she's healed of her sickness. Jesus reigns over sickness too. But the, the power isn't the important thing for Jesus, but rather how the woman responds to him. Jesus stops and he looks for the person who's touched him. The disciples are going, what are you, crazy? You're in a crowd. It's like a mosh pit. Everyone's touching you. It's like a COVID nightmare. But they haven't understood. The woman, trembling in fear, comes up and and tells him everything. Jesus says to her, verse 34, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. His power and love shouldn't cause us to fear, but to trust in him as our Lord and Saviour. However, has Jesus forgotten about Jaro and his daughter? Doesn't he care about them? I mean, he's, he's stopped for this woman. And in fact, as he is doing that, in verse 35, some of the people, they come up to Jaro and go, look, your daughter is dead. So, like, why, why are you still bothering with this teacher? What does Jesus do? Verse 36, he says to Jairo, don't be afraid, just believe. They leave the multitude behind, probably given up and they're not not going to see anything now. The daughter's dead. And they go to Jairo's house. The family's there, they're crying and Jesus says the impossible. Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. (laughs) All the people there, they're laughing at Jesus. Maybe from fear of the hope or of disappointment that might come. They don't trust him. But Jesus goes in to the little girl. He takes her by the hand and he says, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. You know, there's one other moment in Mark's gospel when there's first the quote in Aramaic, which is what it is here, followed by a translation, which would have been Greek in the original Mark. It's the moment when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he then dies and rises again to life. Here in verse 42, the little girl instantly gets up and starts to walk. Jesus rules over death. He's all-powerful and all-loving. He cares that we are drowning in, in nature, in evil, in sickness, in death. He reigns, he rules over it all. 
If you keep reading Mark, you see it again and again, how much he cares. And ultimately, when he dies on the cross at the end of Mark's gospel, for you and for me, because we'd rejected God, he takes the punishment that we deserve for that. And then he rises again to life to show that he's conquered And then he waits with us until that day when he will return to destroy evil and death and sickness forever. And he hasn't returned yet because he cares for us too, because he longs for more people to come to trust him as their Lord and Saviour, to be reunited with God. He suffers with us as we cry over the evil and suffering in this world as we wait together. Have you seen Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? How are you going to respond? The last little story is at the start of chapter 6. And what happens there is that Jesus and us The disciples are asked that question again that they were asked in the boat. Why don't you trust him? You see, what happens here is that Jesus arrives at his hometown to people who you'd think would know him. He begins to teach in the synagogue. But as soon as the crowd hear it, they reject him because all of them, they think they know him. They've got him in their little box. He's a carpenter who lived here. He's his family's here. We, we know who he is. But they don't want him to be their king and saviour. They like the idea of life how it is and they don't want to change. It causes him fear, them fear and so they reject Jesus. And then in verse 5 of chapter 6, you see Jesus doesn't, do any miracles there well except just healing a few people you know as you do but he's saddened why because of their lack of faith because they are not willing to trust him it's not because it's not because he doesn't have power or isn't loving. I mean, we we know that he is from these last stories, but because they won't trust him, they reject him in fear. As we look at the long story, we see Jesus as the only king and the only saviour who is both all-powerful and all-loving. The only problem with that is really us. Because when we're confronted with our all-powerful, loving King and Saviour, Jesus, we need to respond. And we can either reject him in fear, trying to be ourselves the King of the world, or we can follow him in faith, trusting that he both cares and rules. That's what we're remembering as we come back to Australia. We remember Jesus In that moment when we heard the news of Tanya's dad and faced the reality that we'd need to leave 
our life there and come back to seeing family suffering? It wasn't a quick answer that we had. It was nine years in Spain of seeing how God had worked, of seeing how time and time again he'd worked through our weakness to do far more than we could have possibly done through our strength. I'm a slow learner. I needed at least nine years to learn that the rest of my life and I need to keep learning that as I go on. I need to remember who Jesus really is. And I know that when Tanya's dad told us his confirmed diagnosis, we were devastated, not only by the thought of losing him, but of saying goodbye to Valencia. Of our friends and family, or our friends there, our ministry there, we felt that so much was unfinished. And yet in the midst of that grief, we were comforted by what we had known all along by what gave us the confidence in the first place to say that we would return to care for our family when they, the need arose, by the same reason that took us to Spain in the first place. Everyone everywhere needs to hear the big announcement that Jesus is the only King and Saviour. That means that no matter where we are in the world, we can share that good news with others. And we know that God will continue working through us now that we're in Sydney, just as he will continue working in Spain through Spanish teenagers as they share Jesus with their friends. Because it was never about our strength, but always about his. And so as we share with you today that we're finishing as CMS missionaries, we also then join you as CMS partners who continue to send others to places like Spain. And so we can actually have joy in returning to our family. This is the photo of Peter holding our son, our youngest son, Lucas, at the airport and seeing them there. And it's a photo both of their confidence and ours in our King and Saviour who rules, who cares. We're going to share with you more about what we can remember, about what God is doing and has done in Spain. But let's remember Jesus right now and that question. How do you respond to Jesus when you see that he is King and Saviour? Let's pray. Our merciful Father, you've shown us that Jesus has incredible authority as the King and Saviour of the world. He rules over nature, over evil, over sickness, over death. This is great news for us. But we know that we don't always live like it. And we're sorry. We return to you casting our crowns aside, trusting that Jesus is our King and Saviour. Please help us to continue to see that over and over again and grow our confidence in Jesus as our King, leaving fear behind such that we might share this good news with others as well. Thank you for the privilege of entering your kingdom through Jesus in his name. Amen.